Welcome to Inside Games, the only gaming news show brave enough to work for free. Yeah, we're out here shattering picket lines and median wages for you, our beloved free market games media consumers. I mean, it'd be nice to get paid someday. Uh, that's likely what Bayonetta voice actor Helena Taylor was thinking when she went public with the insultingly low offer she received for reprising her lead role in Bayonetta 3. Uh, and then what started as a wave of public support for a downtrodden performer quickly soured when alternate stories emerged, as they tend to do. The always even-tempered gaming audience then picked sides <laughs> and started debating all aspects of performance and compensation within the games industry. Right, because they know all about it and have worked in the games industry for 30 years. Uh, <laughs> there's so many hot takes flying around, you'd swear people have guns in their shoes. We'll cover the subjective bits later on, but first, we gotta cover the ups and downs of this whole messy affair, and for that we turn to our staff fake voice acting expert, She's May archivist Yami. How did we get here, Yami? You called me on Discord. No, 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 no. With, with Bayonetta, with Bayonetta. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Here's how the whole Bayo saga started. Fans of Bayonetta probably know that the titular character was brought to life by the voice actor Helena Taylor for the series' first two installments. For the third game, which releases later this week, series developers Platinum Games replaced the veteran voice actor with Jennifer Hale, who is known for her work in Mass Effect, Overwatch, Metroid Prime, and many other games. Why the reason for the Switch? <laughs> no pun intended, I guess. Earlier this month, in a series of videos, Taylor dropped a bombshell. She accused Nintendo and or Platinum Games of lowballing her to come back. Uh, specifically, she said she was offered 4,000 US dollars to voice Bayonetta 3, which she called an insult that directly affected her mental health, resulting in depression and anxiety. She asked fans to boycott the game, saying, I didn't want the world, I didn't ask too much, I was just asking for a decent, dignified living wage. What they did was legal, but it was immoral. Taylor claimed that the offer was particularly bad, considering that Bayonetta was, in her words, a $450 million franchise. That's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, we will get to that later, but that's a little bit of a stretch, the $450 million franchise. Though. Taylor said she declined the $4,000 offer to stand up in solidarity with all the people all over the world who do not get paid properly for their talents. Well, as you can imagine, this set off a cyberstorm with fans <laughs> of the game jumping to her defense, vowing to boycott the new game. Uh, writer's note here, which is me actually. Cyberstorm is a cool word, and we all agree that we should say it a lot more. Agreed, Lawrence. This Cyberstorm <laughs> also directed a torrent of negative feedback at Platinum Games and Nintendo, as lots of people saw it as yet another example of big business taking advantage of creatives. Uh, naturally, Nintendo didn't want to be seen as a puppy kicker on the even one of their biggest exclusives of the year. But then, after the Cyberstorm, the story started to change. Ooh, we got a twist! A cyber <laughs> twist! <laughs> a few days after Taylor's tweet storm, Bloomberg's Jason Schroeder published an article contradicting Taylor's claims. Specifically, he quoted sources who said Platinum wanted to hire Taylor for at least five sessions to work on Bayonetta 3, with each session paying $3,000 to $4,000 for four hours in the studio each. That would mean she was actually offered between $15,000 and $20,000 for the role. I'm really glad the math is laid out because that was confusing to me. <laughs> Schreier's sources also said that Taylor's demands were much higher. She wanted six figures plus residuals on the game. Platinum said no, lengthy negotiations followed, and they finally gave up and auditioned new actors. They also reportedly offered Taylor a cameo in the game for a one session fee, but she turned it down. Oh, either way, this directly contradicts Taylor's firsthand account of how the negotiations proceeded. It really complicates the whole appealing to the masses thing she was trying to do with her side. Tough bet putting your chips on Cyberstorm and also the whims of the masses. So. <laughs> the new voice of Bayonetta, Jennifer Hale, released her own statement saying that she supported, quote, 
Every actor's right to be paid well, but said that she was also under non-disclosure agreement and was limited in what she could say. And perhaps to remind folks that this issue was more complicated than Taylor made it first sound, Hale also reminded everyone of the quote, entire team of hardworking, dedicated people that worked to produce Bayonetta 3. Platinum Games then published their own statement throwing their support behind Hale as the new Bayonetta, along with the usual pleas for basic human civility from the gaming audience. <laughs> it's kind of road at this point, right? Yeah, I know. It's just on the footer of all of their letterhead. <laughs> Please don't be weird on the internet. So yeah, we got twists. Oh, the twists, the turns. Oh my gosh. At this rate, the real Helena Taylor is going to show up and accuse the one we see in front of us of being a lizard person imposter or something. Well, Taylor did change her story a bit. Ah, I knew it. So is she, is she a green lizard person or one of the yellow ones? It's unclear that we know her true lizard colors yet, but her aura gives me red. In a new series of tweets, Taylor did admit that she was actually offered more than the $4,000 to reprise her role as Bayonetta. She now says that her offer was $10,000 total. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Following the lowball offer for Bayonetta 3, Taylor said that she wrote to series creator Hideki Kamiya about the situation. She said that he replied saying how much he valued my contribution to the game and how much the fans wanted me to voice the game. Taylor said she was then offered an extra $5,000 to return for Bayonetta 3. Still though, she declined. So by her own admission, that $4,000 figure isn't exactly true, even if it's the first offer she received. And having just published a fabrication of her own, Taylor specifically called out Schreier's reporting and saying any other lies, such as $4,000 for five sessions are total fabrications. She also denied that there were extensive negotiations and wrote, I was just asking for a fair living wage in line with the value that I bring to this game. Well, whatever the real number is, Taylor clearly feels like Platinum shortchanged her. And now there's a backlash to the backlash with some fans accusing Taylor of lying while others still supporting the cause. Oh, Taylor didn't do her message any favors by presenting skewed numbers at all. And yet, whether it's $4,000, $10,000, $20,000, those are all astoundingly low figures for an expertly trained performer in what's perceived to be a banner AAA franchise for Nintendo. It, it, this whole thing is very, very messy. Oh, I'm sorry. This whole side story is very, very messy. <laughs> yeah, they get that way. Uh, at any rate, the controversy has threatened to overshadow the release of a very, very in parentheses, very long-awaited game. Bayonetta 2 released in 2014. That was eight years ago. And Bayonetta 3 was announced in 2017 with very little follow-up since. If you're wondering if the game is any good, which I, I am, early reviews are really positive, which is great because there's so much drama. Bayonetta 3 <laughs> is currently sitting at a dignified 89 on Metacritic. GameSpot called it a show-stopping spectacle, and IGN said it's a top-shelf action game on the Switch. Oh, okay, they got me convinced. Uh, so despite the controversy, there's still a very good game coming out soon. This whole episode has definitely sparked larger issues of pay and who does or does not get valued for their work. Yeah, in this case specifically, Taylor's offer may have been pinched a little bit because despite appearances, Bayonetta is not a big franchise, at least as far as we can tell. Bayonetta 1 shipped 1.35 million units by May 2010. Bayonetta 2 sales numbers look like they're in the tens of thousands since it was a Wii U exclusive in 2014. <laughs> so it didn't do that game any favors. The Switch version looks like it went on to sell 1.04 million copies as of December 2021. So totaling all this up, that's May Maybe 3 million franchise sales, if we're being very generous, uh, which is not even 200 million in revenue at $60 a game. Sure, there's other merchandise, shirts, amiibo figures, but it's unlikely to somehow make Bayonetta the $450 million franchise 
that Taylor claimed it was. It's kind of irrelevant because even actors on big, big, big games do not get paid. Michael Hollick, who played Nico Bellic in 2008's <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 4, raised alarms about his lack of compensation shortly after the game's release. Hollick said he'd been paid about $100,000 for 15 months of voice acting and motion capture with no royalties or residuals. Unlike Bayonetta, GTA 4 sold over 25 million units and set all kinds of sales records that were later broken by GTA 5. Disputes over voice performance rates in games also led to the longest Screen Actors Guild strike in history in 2016, with residuals being the standout issue. Crazy that nothing's changed. The eventual <laughs> agreement in 2017 still didn't include residuals though, replaced instead with a sliding scale bonus structure based on the number of recording sessions the actor participates in. And here's the funny thing. That three-year agreement went into effect in November 2017 and was extended for two more years in 2020. That means, wouldn't you know it, it's going to be up for renewal next month. Hmm, isn't that conspicuous timing to start raising a lot of dirt about how much voice actors are paid? Huh. It sure is. I'm glad that they're raising those concerns, but perfect timing for Bayonetta. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Let's roll it all the way back to 2016. You just saw wanna... Batman. Uh, no, let's go all the way back. You just saw Batman v Superman, Donna Justice, uh, for the 10th time oh, in God. theaters. I know you did. No more. You were listening to Major Lazer on the ride home, and now you're going to play a hot new release like Titanfall 2. Nobody played it, and it was great. It was a great game. <laughs> Do you even know a voice acting strike is underway in 2016? I mean, yeah, we remember it because we were looking at headlines, but did John Q. Gamer get home from his, his, he punched that clock, the steam whistle went off, opened up his lunch pail, played his video game for lunch? Do you think he like, do you think he knew there was a strike? He didn't even know that there were voice actors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, most people just didn't seem to notice outside of some specific casting swaps. I think Life is Strange had a swap around some performers. So maybe you did, viewer, maybe you didn't. Um, uh, but in general, there's far less emphasis put on performance talent in games than in other mediums. Yeah, the landscape seemed accurately summarized by then entertainment lawyer Ezra Doner, who gave this comment to the New York Times back in 2008. Quote, what drives video games is not Tracy and Hepburn. What drives it is the conception of the creative director, the actor whose appearance or voice is used as more analogous to a session music for a band. The session musicians don't get residuals on the sales of the CD. They get paid a session fee. It's not like the star quality of Tom Cruise that's getting people to buy that video game. Interesting. I saw Rocket Jump's Freddie Wong pointed out much more directly gaming's lack of star power by comparing the posters between the movie version of Uncharted and the video game Uncharted. I and mean, the movie lists the talent right up in front. That's the reason you go see it. The game is just the character and the logo because you come for the character and the brand. So that just kind of lays it all out right there. A common explanation for this is the vast array of talents and teams that work on a video game compared to more focused industries like movies or music. That kind of throws back to the comment from Jennifer Hale reminding everyone that Bayonetta 3 is the work of an entire team and not just the lead performer. Accordingly, some rationalize that games are not as profitable as sales numbers would have you believe since the sizes of the teams that work on them are so much larger. That argument has faded in the last 10 years or so, though, as game revenues have expanded. Yeah, and like we alluded in the beginning, we know a thing or two about having your work and talents devalued working in games media. There's a lot of talent competition out there. That means there will always be a performer willing to overwork and overdeliver for lower rates just to book gigs. Yeah, we, we're not trying to compare ourselves to Helena Taylor here. 
in terms of training or skill level or value of performance, but working in this field long enough, we've learned that there's such a thing as good enough when it comes to games media. And there's always someone next in line when all you need is good enough. Now we're gonna guess it's the same for video game voice acting. Uh, if players are coming for the characters, the music, the gameplay, and the story, then it's likely the next performer in line for voice acting will be good enough. I guess we'll see if the market thinks otherwise, but from the reviews, it seems like swapping to Hail didn't substantially affect the game's final quality. That is the cold and unfeeling hand of the market speaking. We're not really talking from the human angle here, so let's do that. Should they be more valued, even if it seems like the market doesn't do it? And on a more complicated level, how could that realistically happen when competition for roles is so high and casting doesn't typically bring a whole lot of market value? That's a complicated one. I don't know. Well, yeah, should they be more valued? Yeah, absolutely. I think they should. They do awesome work and they deserve to be paid what they want to be paid. If I put myself in her shoes, it's like, yeah, I want XYZ and this company doesn't give it to me. I would just then walk away though. So that's sort of like where I, I kind of dis disagree with her in, in causing a giant ruckus. Although, you know, like, I, uh, to each their own. Like, good for her, not for me. I would have just been like, okay, you're not gonna pay me what I deserve. I'm out. I completely agree. I, uh, I actually really saw it from her point of view before I found out that she was lying. Um, <laughs> I really did. I was really like, I was really in and I was like, man, you know what? She's totally right. She's the voice of a franchise character that's been making a lot of money for a lot of years. Like it blew my mind. I couldn't believe it that they had only offered her $4,000 for this. I was like, there's no, like, I was like, you know, I could see them trying to lowball her to get rid of her and be like, ah, she'll say no to this. There's no way she's going to do it for $4,000. But now that there's more to the story, well, then they're just not paying them as much because like we said, they just don't value the performance uh, because they could just find somebody else to replace her. And that sucks. Like, I would really like to see voice actors uh, get more money and more respect um, in this industry, especially if they've established themselves uh, in a, in a you know, a banner character like Bayonetta. I agree. Yeah. But, you know, then it's like, can the company afford it? Then how many other fields should that extend to? Do we try to invent cults of personality and celebrity around audio engineers and technical engineers, tools designers, QA leads? They're different talents, but they're all equally valuable, ostensibly. So I guess voice performers actually do kind of get the worst end of the stick because they're their work is very seasonal. It's all contract. It's it's rain and it's rain and drought. So there's there's really no industry protection there. I guess the question is, should there be? Maybe the uh, the guild negotiations will come out with more stuff this time. And and it makes me wonder if maybe that's you know Helena fell on the sword to try and drum up these issues before contract negotiations started to try to move public sentiment. Well, then honestly, good for her to be honest, because then it's gonna yeah. cause cause change, and hopefully it does. And it sucks that it had to be her. Yeah, but if you're like if you're looking at a ten thousand dollar gig versus maybe getting better union uh, rules in place for the next four years. That's fair. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good play if that's what it is. Yeah, I might be putting way too much uh, organization on what seems to just be a more emotional affair. But the one thing that this the whole situation does remind me of. There was this situation a while ago where id Software kind of got into a dust-up with their lead composer for the Doom reboots, Mick Gordon. People loved the music in those games, and it was kind of a marketable aspect of them. So the composer actually had some sway here and kind of came out saying that he had been mistreated by id Software and he wasn't able to release the like remixed version of the Doom Eternal soundtrack for various reasons. So a, a beloved performer and composer came out, kind of got early positive sentiment, told their side of the story, its software had to post this whole thing laying out every business thing that happened. Turned out it was way more complicated than people assumed. 
And in the end, the big thing is that a lot of people thought Mick Gordon was not replaceable, but then they got uh, Andrew Hochschild and, and David Levy to do the soundtrack for the DLCs. And to me, it was it was just as good. And I think that's kind of the consensus from the audience too. People are like, we want like we kind of wonder what a Mick Gordon soundtrack would have sounded like. But damn, damn, other composers are also really good, and there's a lot of good <laughs> artists out there. So yeah, it's tough and it's icky. It's like a it's it's so it sucks that it's like a dog eat dog world. One of those things where it's like we say it at the end of almost every episode. It's like that is the world we live in. But that said, hey, we could try and improve it. You know, like let's maybe try try and be better to each other. That's a good idea. Speaking of people that are trying to improve our world by giving us money for our Patreon, <laughs> Dan, <laughs> that, was, that was a joke. That was a joke. They're just they're just they're just patrons. Dan Halloran, Keto White, Izzy, Lenny Neves, Dragon Jetpack Society, and Nathaniel Jameson. Thank you very much for improving our world. Yeah, I like to I, I like to write in jokey little titles for our patrons, but in this case, they are germane to this story. Literally putting money into the world to directly support the performance they want, and hopefully you got yeah. it today. Jacob, Dylan, Hiley, Eddie the Dog, Colin Cochran, Mason Hoover, and Arala. Thank you all very, very much. And let me also say a giant thank you to Yami for coming on the show. Thank you Aww, so much. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for having me on. We haven't talked to you in so long. Yeah, I know. It's been like 17 years. 17 years? Yeah. No? I'm old. <laughs>